0: Welcome to another edition of the Heron Outlet. He is Austin Robillard. She is Alex Winley. I am Ian Heston. Guys, training camp is officially underway, and wow, did it start with some news, some big news within the club on who's returning, some big news surrounding who might be coming in. So let's just jump right into it. The big news of the week, Joseph Martinez, the former MLS MVP and uh, really excellent striker for Atlanta United, reportedly... On his way to South Florida after not being able to, well, after having some rough waters with Atlanta over the past year or so, dealt with an ACL injury and never really seemed to fit into the culture, wanted to, to get out. And now seemingly finding his way to Miami, reports from both The Athletic and Tom Ogart of MLSsoccer.com, reporting that Joseph will be bought out by Atlanta United and, and a portion of his salary will be paid for by the Five Stripes. To bring him to Miami, that would make him not a designated player, which is huge. That's a game changer in and of itself. So you're not only bringing in a top striker within MLS, you're doing it at a not designated player salary. Let's start with the player himself, Joseph Martinez, who is, when he's on, one of the best strikers in the league, is MVP caliber. We saw that last year with Alejandro Pozuelo, right? A a very similar situation. Guy with a disgruntled locker room. Didn't have his MVP MVP form, but when he got into a better locker room scenario in Miami, suddenly started to feel better and started to play like that of old. Are we seeing this Joseph Martinez that could be that 2019 MVP as he makes his way, seemingly reportedly down to Miami?
1: Look, I I think that Phil Neville obviously with Pozuela has a great track record with with past proven players in MLS and. Joseph Martinez, younger than Alejandro Pozuelo, uh, you know, after the ACL injury, put in two good seasons, in my opinion, when you look at his his goal contributions over the course of the games that he played, especially just in starts, because a lot of the time with what went on last year, you saw that he was getting subbed on later in games and not starting because of the whole locker room issues and things like that. For me, this guy, 100%, you do everything you can to get after him, and the fact that they're not getting one a DP deal is outstanding. So him as a player and fitting into what Phil Neville can do, I mean, I see this just like you were saying, you know, much like an Alejandro Pazuela situation. If you throw him up top, you have so many different weapons at your disposal week in and week out. Every single team is going to be worrying about Joseph Martinez because that's what they did in the past, and they'll continue to do that. He's still in his prime as long as he can recover, keep on recovering well. Like I said, he's had a decent last two years. And even in those last two years, if you guys want to go check out our sub stack that we just started, uh, we alluded to this there. Even over those last two seasons after the ACL injury, he's still one of – I mean, if you throw those stats on into Miami, only I think Gonzalo Higuain is outscoring or out assisting him. I mean, I don't think any other player is putting up the same numbers that Joseph Martinez, uh, Martinez is throughout that throughout that time. So to bring him in, hopefully get him to improve, put him through the Miami, you know, the culture and everything like that, that they're trying to build down here with their nutrition and, and health and, and all of that kind of stuff, just to build him back even better, 100%, uh, he could be extremely productive. And also, I think getting him off of turf is another huge thing.
2: Yeah, I, I wholly agree. I think um, there's a lot of concerns about, you know, his adi- attitude and, you know, you know, what happened up there in Atlanta with the 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 spats he had with Pineda, But I think Phil Neville has shown that with uh Luconzella Igorin last year that he's able to um control tempers like that. You know, he was not afraid to bench Igorin when he was out of form. So I don't think that'll be an issue. Also, Joseph is uh coming to South Florida where there's a large Venezuelan a uh, uh, population and you know, he'll probably be a lot more comfortable down here anyway. Um, so culturally, the team fit, it'll just work. The locker room is also very Latin heavy. Uh, Phil Neville speaks Spanish. We, we heard it yesterday, uh, the other day, uh, Ian, during the, uh, the Phil Neville's press conference. It's, it's, it's quite good. So, um, yeah, I don't think that it will be an issue. Also, I want to, uh, like run off some stats real quick on Joseph Martinez. Um, like, guys, he's still, pretty good you know obviously he didn't start in uh, as much as he would have liked coming off an injury but you know in the, just looking at his stats like when it comes to you know the shot creating actions assists non penalty goals um you know pass completions like he's still really good and able to contribute at a high level so um obviously he may not be the you know the Joseph of old but you know with uh, Campana there and even Quarantin Jean Nicholas Defnelli. You know, if Martinez is injured or even Campana, there are options there that can they can play a single striker um, uh, system. But if both Martinez and Campana are fit, you know, I, I see maybe Neville rolling with the two striker system. But uh, just the attacking options that Inter Miami has now, if when Joseph does sign, um, you know, it gives them flexibility, especially with all the competitions they're going to be in, Leagues Cup, U.S. Open Cup, uh, uh, a most regular season and the playoffs if they make it. Um, just having more bodies up there and more bodies in offense will be huge for Miami.
0: You know that's a really good point, Alex, because they, they Phil did allude to this in his press conference on Monday to start training camp. That he he said, "quote cool, We're in it to win it," and he meant that for every competition. He meant that for the MLS regular season. He meant that for League's Cup, and he meant that for the U.S. Open Cup. And he blatantly said it's because winning League's Cup gets you into Concacaf Champions League. So, I mean, I, I could make all this moot. Look at Orlando City. They're going to be playing in CONCACAF Champions League this year. How'd they do it? They won the Open Cup. And, and for however easy that, that path was laid for them, they won't care. They'll be playing in Champions League. Um, so I think that that's an interesting take. Looking at his numbers, like you said, Alex, even in a diminished role, I think it's very impressive. Last year, in only fifty, barely, uh, didn't even reach 1,500 minutes, still scored nine goals, right? <clears throat> and And, excuse me. Uh, the year before, in 1,600 minutes, had 12 goals. So I was looking at wh- where that kind of production comes from because that that can be a super sub-role. That could be a second striker role in terms of that much minutes and that much production, but not really. In fact, the closest thing that I found really within the, the hemisphere here is Andre Pierre Gignac of, of uh, Tigres, who has a very similar clip in terms of goals-to-minutes ratio, and I think everybody on the continent would want him as a striker right now. So I, I, for all the talk of his diminished return right now, I still don't know if I buy it. What I what I do buy is the fear of the locker room issues. And I want to touch on that for a sec because, Alex, you mentioned what if he gets into a, a super sub role. Is he going to be accepting of that? Miami last year, when they couldn't turn to Igwayin, Campana was hurt for a lot of the, la- the second half of the year. They didn't have uh, – Coco Jean still exists in some universe. We hope that he plays – right? But they didn't have that secondary striker option. Would you just go with a two-striker up-top option, or would you use Joseph as a secondary spell for Campana, or or a rotational thing between them? There's many options here, but how is that going to play into the mind of someone who thinks that they are the alpha male, the alpha striker all the time, and a guy that you want, thinking that he's going to be that?
2: Uh, I don't think it'll be an issue, honestly, genuinely. I think... I think his relationship with Atlanta has been so fractured that he just wants to, 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 to leave, you know, the front office, the front office, you know, understandably sure they want to move him on, but you know, that relationship is broken and obviously he still feels like he can compete. And, you know, the fact that he is um, um, in Miami and, and uh, about to sign for the team, it shows that uh, we, or all- well, I wrote about it and we all wrote about it in the Substack. but, you know, he still wants to show the Atlanta front office that he can still do it. So. I don't think, you know, attitude will be an issue because he's coming to Miami kind of with his tail between his legs, cause sort or maybe sort of humble, just wants to show that he still has it. Even, you know, he's only 29. I mean, coming off a, a, an ACL injury is difficult, but, you know, he's only 29. He would like to show Atlanta that he's still able to do so. Also, Ian, I want to touch on your point about um, the two strikers. Uh, looking at Joseph's uh, advanced stats now, he is in the 95th percentile in, in key passes, uh, in the league, which is uh, pretty great. And considering if you do play a two-striker system, Joseph can also be a facilitator as well. He's in the 93rd percentile of assist in the league too, but also, you know, obviously his, minute, his minutes are limited. So it's a small sample size, but still he can create passes into the final third. He's in the 75th percentile as a, a, a center forward. So he can create as well a, a score. So if Miami do play that two-striker system, I'm sure Joseph has no problem dropping off, you know, being that late runner uh, in behind Campana who's more of the focal point, uh, you know, of the system and, and you know, just uh, running off uh, in that regard. So, yeah. And also, I think this just plays into Phil Neville's hands in regards to depth, you know, the U.S. Open Cup, uh, Leagues Cup. They're going to be in a, a bunch of competitions this year. So, you know, rotating, uh, you know, the more bodies, the better, like I said earlier. So um, I don't think it'll be an issue. Yes, attitude. I, I, I don't know. I don't think it'll be as big of an issue as, you, as you're as you making it because the locker room's going to be, you know, o- o- I feel like they're going to op- uh, open their arms to him. Like we we spoke to Robbie Robinson the other day talking about how, you know, they're excited for Pizarro to come back. And that's pretty telling considering the fact that, you know, a year ago we saw him, you know, him and Iguain get into spats. So I think just a change of scenery will do him good. And like I, I mentioned earlier, Neville's really good at uh, just – tempering down personalities like that. So I don't think it'll be an issue, but um, let's see how it goes.
1: I think more and more combination play up at the front is what's going to help this team. I think it's something that they lacked a lot of in the last two seasons under Phil Neville. And the offensive weapons that he added, and if you throw Joseph into that, given the stats that he's put out um, in terms of being a quote-unquote facilitator as a second striker, if you needed him to, with Campana and Pozzuolo, you'll have that triangle in the middle of middle up front. And then if you think about the wingers and them connecting on either side, having Campana or Joseph, depending on where the ball is, running into the box, finding the positions that they're so good at doing, I think you create a really dynamic offense that Miami has lacked. It's not going to be that single guy up front that you have to rely on. I think Campana was was asked to do a lot when he was playing in terms of hold-up play. And obviously when he comes down to after his injury and you look at Higuain, the whole entire team was on Higuain's back. Everything fell through Higuain. And now with a more versatile attack, with more weapons to spread out over the front of the pitch, I think Joseph is one of those perfect players to play next to a guy like Campana to play against Phil Neville type wingers because he is able to contribute in multiple different ways, whether it's finding position in the box to receive a cross that was either on the ground um, or at the top of the box where he can get a shot in or himself finding through balls to, to play the wingers to play the crosses to see a Campana who's overlapping through the middle. There's so many different ways that they can approach this, I think Phil Neville is going to enjoy exploring throughout the season. And uh, Joseph could be a really, really key and vital part to a successful offense in Miami.
0: You know, just to touch on your point there, Austin, that, that last year, Campana and Iguain combined for 27 of Inter Miami's goals. So just the fact that the, the sheer volume of, of the, the single reliant striker that they've had, being able to to balance that between two people on the pitch at the same time might be a little more interesting. Let's training camp is is just getting underway, guys. So we have so much more to talk about. Uh, it, it was it was really nice to get back out there. It felt a lot different than in years past, and, and we talked about it a little because uh, this year really only four new faces uh, so far that we've seen come back in, and that's a, if you include certain people um, that that are coming in. And so, a lot of the same, it, it, like coming in this year, was a lot of the same people. It felt like almost a little bit like a continuation of last year. And and I, I, you know, compare that to where we were at this time last year, when everything was, you know, twenty players in. Who's this guy? Who's it? What's that? Is that the guy that this looks like? And you were trying to figure out who was who. This year, it's a lot different. It has a lot more of a, a almost like. Uh, like a college football team that was returning all of its starters. And you're like, oh, okay, like we're getting the band back together. Everybody's joking around and everybody's having fun. And it was very, very light. It was very, very brotherly um, as opposed to there weren't a lot of the introductions. Uh, Guys were were very uh, good at at communicating right from the start. Um, and, And that just to me was first and foremost the biggest difference between day one last year and day one this year. And just as as you make a couple of these changes, Phil talked about two, maybe three more. That, that's not really going to change a lot. And and just being here at day one felt a little bit different. And I figure we could just touch on that for a little bit.
2: Yeah, and um, yeah, it does feel different. I think um, a lot of the guys know each other from the last season, so they're not getting to know each other. Um, you know, like uh, in you know early twenty twenty two or. Now everyone was new and, and no one knew anyone, but now it feels very together and, and, and you know, they're all very focused and they all look very fit and, and you know, they have a shared goal in mind. So um, I think that'll be helpful for them heading into the season. You know, we saw last year, um, they didn't start the season off too well. And that's probably because of the newness, you know, all of them. You know, it was just chemistry and them getting to know each other. And uh, eventually we saw them get it together later, later in the season and push for the playoffs. So, um, yeah, it felt very new. Everyone felt very together. Um, you know, it was a very jovial atmosphere at uh, at the practice. Even Rodolfo Pizarro, um, like even Robbie Robinson mentioned that they were happy to have him back and, 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 and in training and in the locker room and that that they missed him even. So yeah, the the mood does feel different. You know, obviously Gonzalo Iguain is not there, but still, um, there's no star per se. But the team has this feel to it, like they're they're very together and they're 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 ready to do something special this season. And I know a lot of people will say, well, they need a you know a a star DP to actually go somewhere. I don't think that's maybe how Chris Anderson will want to go anyway. Um, disregarding the roster building, if they can get messy later, I don't know, but. It, they just feel really together you know and and it felt that way e and we were there and and you know it yeah it just it felt like a like a family training camp almost the guys all knew each other and it, it went very smoothly even the new guys Jake Lakawa Benjamin Kmeshke um and for, forgetting some names but yeah it just felt very natural and and and, and together and and um the chemistry is there and we're not going to have to see them struggle for the first five games of the season. Like we did last, last year.
1: That was going to be my exact point. Back then there was no foundation of this team. It was like you said, Ian, 20 players in 20 players out. And it was completely, it was just a disorganized group to begin the season. That's why you saw a such such a rough stretch in the first five games. That's why you saw a five, one beating in Austin. That's why you saw these types of things happen. And now Finally, we have a manager who doesn't have a crap ton of new players for the first time in club history. We have a manager who has a foundation that he himself has built going into a season. And this is the first time it's ever happened. And right now, this would be the moment to start off the year strong. And imagine, imagine where Miami would have been last year. They were fighting from, I think, if, correct me if I'm wrong, it was either the second-to-last game or the last game where they actually had a chance to get a home playoff match. Imagine if they had just done a little bit better in the first five games to begin the season in 2022. Can you uh, imagine I'll, where yeah, they would have I'll, been?
0: I'll make the argument that it cost them top four. The first five games yeah, of 100%. last cost them five, top four because they, they, lost, they went over five, and, and that, would, that put them. From that moment, from the first five games to the last, to the last 29 games, they were on pace with Montreal. So that, that first exactly. five games of the season last year completely cost him top four.
1: And with the foundation going into 2023 with an idea of what you're going to do and what you're going to pursue throughout the year. And yes, this is still a Phil Neville side. We are going to see tactical switches from time to time, maybe from game to game until he figures things out. But at least he has an idea of what's going to be put out on day one. Given that he's actually seen game time from a majority of the folks that are on his roster, I think it can make a a massive, massive difference. Everything that you guys spoke about with the training is extremely comforting to hear. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there. But I think for every fan or every analyst listening and you're thinking about a Miami side who finally has a core group together, it's the first time they've ever had that in league history. And so I think it's extremely important for them to build off of that and start off the year strong. That should be the goal.
0: A couple of notes that we we, uh, got from training just – so DeAndre Yedlin's going to be in a different program, just coming back from the World Cup as he gets back to full league health um, as he goes in. Leo Campana dealing with a bit, bit of an illness, um, expected to be back here later in the week in training. Uh, Jean Mota still nursing a bit of a groin injury as he heads into camp. Um, Ian Frey coming back into the mix, which is nice, of first action for him. We'll see after missing his entire rookie season with a torn ACL. Uh, just a little bit of the news and notes. From training, as, as uh, but other than that, a, a full squad, which is really great to see uh, as as we begin the year, a full squad, including a returning designated player, Rodolfo Pizarro, back from Monterrey in Mexico, and uh, there there were a couple weeks there where it was will he won't he show up? He had said he was planning on going. There uh, there was you know rumors that they were trying to, to find uh, suitors for him, um, but he's in training. Um, and, and he's there. Uh, we, were, we weren't allowed to talk to him. Uh, we, want, we asked for him, but, um, uh, you know, hoping to, to get to be able to ask him some questions and see if he's excited about his time here in Miami, if he plans on being here for the, the, la- the long haul. Um, Phil did say, I found it of note in his, uh, in his press conference, when asked about Rodolfo Pizarro, uh, he mentioned that he, can't, he looked at him as a brand new player. But he's coming back in like a brand new signing. Everything that happened in the past, he's not considering. And, and he's looking at a guy that, this was the interesting part to me, has one year left on his deal. He's looking at him as a guy that has one year at Miami, and it's a prove-it year here or a prove-it year elsewhere. Uh, th- those are my words at the end, not his. But, but he did mention that this is his, quote-unquote, last year at Inter-Miami. And, and so I found that interesting. Whether that winds up being the case, whether he winds up, uh, you know, moving before the season, I think is, is beneficial for everybody. That's my personal opinion. Um, but, but if he, if this is a, a, a you know, last hurrah, what, what does Rodolfo Pizarro returning mean for, for this club?
1: I mean, I, I guess options. I, I, I don't know exactly what benefit this team has from, from him being there because I look to, okay, Alejandro Pozuelo, if he is to come back, which I know we're going to get to later on in the pod. If he does come back, that's your key creator in this team, and that's kind of what Rodolfo Pizarro would, you know, sought out to be. That's what you would want him to be. You think of a young player in Bryce Duke that you have who, who was coming in and out for Pozuelo and actually was playing before Pozuela was there majority of the time acting as a key creator. You think of Robert Taylor as an eight at times when he was able to push up and help create from the midfield. Where does Pizarro fit into that mix, especially on a DP contract? I don't know. So if I'm Chris Henderson, if I'm Phil Neville, I'm still on this route to, okay, we need to find a way to basically offload him so we can either use this DP money or use any of the the salary budget to fill in any gaps that we have going into day one. Or do they actually use him as a bench option? I don't know. I I don't see him starting for Inter-Miami in 2023. It's already, what is say is recording? January 12th. We're coming up on a preseason game in nine days. I'm a little confused by this. I think the Joseph news and the fact that he's not going to be a DP kind of plays into it a little bit because you can afford to keep him on the roster, which is extremely interesting and not something that most of us had predicted. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see how this plays out. I genuinely have no answers, but if he is to stay on the roster, I just see this as another rotational piece to have another key creator, um, in the middle of the park. I don't think, uh, given all the wing play that we've seen from Phil Neville's wingers, Pizarro fits into that mold that, you know, Alonzo had him in, in 2020 playing as a left wing and cutting inside. I don't see that from him. Uh, under Phil Neville, so I think he would play in the middle of the park, but there's just too many options there, in my opinion, um, and, I, and I think that there isn't a fit right now, and if they do find a way to do it, it might come at the expense of another young, talented player for Inter Miami, and I don't think I'd necessarily want to see that um, you know, at, at, for Pizarro.
2: Yeah, I'm going to quote what Phil Neville said about Pizarro here. I think we see him as a new player. In his first season, it didn't go as well as planned for him or the team. The year away was important for him. What we've seen is that he's got, the, uh, got a different attitude and mindset. He loves the club and the city. Also, Neville mentioned that um, Pizarro maybe didn't vibe in previous Inter-Miami locker rooms. And that this current iteration of the locker room suited his personality better. So all that tells me is that they didn't loan out Rolfo Pizarro because maybe they didn't want Rolfo Pizarro. They loaned him out because he didn't get along with Gonzalo Higuain, obviously. So right. the fact I mean, that it's Neville. It's like one
0: person that clearly is not involved in the locker room now.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now Gonzalo's gone. And seeing Neville's comments about Rodolfo saying, you know, he's a new player and that uh, we could see us using him, you know, that just tells me if they can't find a team for him, that he's going to stay. Especially with, like Austin said, the news about um, Joseph not being a DP, you know, that just lends even more credibility, if that's the word that, you know, that Rodolfo can stay and maybe contribute. He, he won't probably won't start, honestly. I think I have I have Bryce Duke, even Nicholas Stefanelli, who can play as a 10, uh, ab- ab- you know, uh, above Pizarro in the, in the depth chart. So, and even, maybe even Benjamin Kremeschki, I, I don't know, he's a talented young player. But this just shows me that Miami are trying to build a team with depth, even more so than they did last year. You know, like I said, the multiple competitions, they want to win a trophy you know, God forbid that, you know, John Mata gets a yellow card or he's out with injury. You know, we've seen back in 2021 Rodolfo play that center midfield role, maybe not as a distributor like Mata is, but more of a box-to-box late runner into the box against Atlanta specifically. I remember uh, that he was required to play there because I think Gregory or Jay Chapman got suspended. I don't know, but he did a decent job. And I even asked Phil Neville about that. And he, he didn't mention that they did see Rodolfo at the time playing in that position. So Honestly, I think based off of Phil Neville's comments and even Robbie Robinson, he mentioned that the the collective group were happy to have uh, Rolofo back. That to me, that says a lot. That he, he, there is a big chance that Rolofo could stay. Like I said, especially with Joseph, the news that he won't be a DP coming if he when he signs. You know, Phil Neville's comments. You know, Robbie saying that they they're welcoming. They're you know they're happy to have him back, welcoming him back. Yeah, that just tells me that Rolofo could stay. He could be a, a or a depth role player, you know. Maybe an occasional starter if you know Mata or, or uh, I don't know whoever starts at the ten, uh, the you know can't go. I, I generally see him as a a, a depth piece. I know people want him to go, you know. Maybe they still move him on, but you know the Robbie's comments, Neville, the fact that Joseph's not a DP. It just to me it says that Rodolfo is probably staying. He'll probably be a bench player, like um. Like you guys mentioned it's his last uh year on his contract it's do or die you know maybe i don't know and this is not reporting maybe they renew him i don't know but this is just like a last audition for him essentially to me so yeah we're gonna see how that goes but um yeah the comments from neville and robinson were very telling for me
0: i i did notice and i, I wanted to see who when they walked off the field who who he was really hanging out with The guy he was sitting next to when he was undoing his boots was Gregor. And I thought that that was very telling. Whether that – who initiated that conversation, I don't know. I'm not, not, you know, getting into the gossip train here. I don't want to do that. But team dynamics are important in this conversation because I'm trying to – I'm trying to figure out who this benefits and and who gets the the most out of this situation or, or how can everybody get the most out of it. Does it benefit Pizarro to spend another year of his career here in Miami with seemingly no path forward? Or, or perhaps there is, and, and trying to find a way back in, does it benefit Miami to just have another DP slot for another year? Because he was a DP last year, even as he played for Monterey. Like, who, who benefits from this getting? And, and, and to me, I just keep going back to I think that the best benefit for everybody is for, to find a way for Rodolfo Pizarro to move on. Now, if he is here... I think that everything that you guys have said is correct. Like, I, I don't see a way for him to be the main guy starting, nor do I, like, looking at Campana and looking at at Joseph, if he necessarily fits that mold of, of what we would want there. I mean, it, it's, it's almost four years since that DC United game when he was uh, smiling and doing the Joker, right? So, or four seasons at least, three years. Um, so, you know, it, it feels like forever ago. I guess I look around the league and I try and see who has designated player spots that make sense that Inter Miami could explore a trade for. I immediately look to the Galaxy. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, San Jose has an open DP slot. Uh, St. Louis City has an open DP slot. And a ton of TAM and GAM. Um, you know, just throwing names out there of, of ways that that this could be beneficial for Rodolfo so that he could get into a situation that makes sense for him. And Miami could could really just wipe themselves clean of this whole situation that, that credit to all parties involved, they are making the most of it. They do not want to, they do not want to be answering these questions from, from us, from everybody in the media about Rodolfo Bizarro day in and day out. I get it. And for, for, for what it's worth, they have done a great job of saying he's welcome back into the team. Rodolfo has done a great job of, of, you know, putting his head down and just, you know, being a a player on the squad. Um, But we, but, as, as long as this exists, we're going to be talking about it. And as long as we don't really know what the situation is, we can only speculate. So until we have the the, the clarity and the confidence of what it's, it's going to be moving forward, the only thing we can continue to do, unfortunately, is talk about it and wonder, how is this going to go? Because we don't have those answers.
2: Yeah. Anything to add, Austin? Or? It's just yeah I don't know it's just wild to to think that you know we all thought that you know they'll surely they'll find a suitor for Urlofo or, or something but now we're here uh, you know like you said there's a Vasco da Gama friendly next week uh, Saturday or, or Friday and then the season starts on uh, you know February 25th so time is ticking and you know the fact that they've integrated him into the team again you know look at um. Uh, I'll say Luciano Acosta from Cincinnati I read a report that uh, a team could be interested or he's interested in going to Europe he has basically uh, if I read this correctly not showed up the training camp because he's looking for a move they could have done the same with uh, Pizarro or just told them hey look we're looking to move you on let's continue to train on your own but the fact that they've really just integrated him uh, into the into the team again and like I said Robbie's comments Neville's comments it could be them bluffing but you know Neville was pretty he was pretty firm on that and and you know usually if he's trying to skirt around the question he will skirt around the question but he was pretty firm on that so yeah it's just a wait and see mode um yeah i don't know but um uh, whatever happens uh yeah Miami just needs to get their dp situation figured out and and let's see how that you know ends up sorry are you, are you guys
1: comfortable with him being on the roster or would you rather see him go
2: um, as a depth piece, like Ian said, like not as the main guy, obviously, but like someone who can spot start for Mata if he's out or uh, whoever's a 10, he can spot start there, or maybe even on the wing, you know, look at, you know, they're probably not going to be playing with wingers as much as they did last season. They're probably gonna go with two up top. So maybe Pizarro can play as a 10 or one of the central midfielders. I don't know. I don't see him starting large chunks. I don't, he, he's not in the first, uh, first choice starting 11 personally for me.
0: I mean this of no disrespect to Rodolfo Pizarro as a player, or as his renewed attitude. That I think I believe them when they say he's a brand new player. I think it's best for Rodolfo Pizarro, and I think it's best for Inter Miami as a club if he moves on.
1: I just when when you talk about a depth rotational piece, Alex, he's making DP money, and I, I just I, I understand yeah. that that was that, that's part of it, but I don't think you. Like I'd rather have that money opened up, whether it's the $620,000 that you get under the regular salary cap or actual DP money that the owners can go and get somebody else for. Maybe it's in June or July. I, I think I'd rather have that and those, op- those potential opportunities than keeping Rodolfo Pizarro on the roster just because I don't know in, in what way he's going to contribute. There's so many questions surrounding it. So I'll yeah, throw count- I don't disagree. I think I'll, 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 let, let me just
0: throw, jump in and throw a counter to that real fast because I don't expect them mm-hmm. to be making so many moves mid season. I think the, what you get day one is going for the most part. There may be one or two moves that happen throughout the season. So unless it's happening now, I just don't see a lot happening during the regular season that would make a difference with that. Why?
1: Why would you? I just why would you keep? Uh, rotational depth piece on the roster who's taking up a DP contract. They kept it last year and, and he wasn't even late, on the team. But,
0: yeah, right. right. but now
1: move but but if you find a way to move him, if you find a way to move him, there's no there's no good reason to keep him on the roster when you go into a, a summer transfer window, not knowing what's going to happen with players around the world going into the summer. Anything can happen and any contract can open up for you. So if you have Rodolfo Pizarro on the roster, you're limiting your potential opportunity for somebody to come in and bolster this team and I, and I think that it's not worth to keep him on the roster and again, I mean no disrespect to Pizarro, but there are players ahead of him right now in the, his exact role, multiple, multiple players. I'd rather have puzzle there. If he is to resign, which again, we're going to talk about, I'd rather have Bryce Duke there. Um, if you want to talk about that eight role, I actually really enjoyed watching uh, Jean Mota be there in that box to box role. I liked seeing Robert Taylor in there, in that box to box role. If he, if he had to, there are, that's four people I just named ahead of him, and I think that if you are discussing a designated player and a designated player contract and limiting your opportunity to get someone else as time goes on throughout the season, it's just not worth it for a rotational piece. I just don't see how that's that's feasible.
2: Yeah, I don't disagree. I think um, me saying that he's a death piece is just based off of whether or not they can move him on. If they can move him on, then yes, I'm uh, obviously all for it. But if they you know if it's february 24th and it's roster compliance day and they still haven't found a team like my that that's how it is you know that's how it's going to be for yeah. them but so i'm not disagreeing like if they can find a team and move mom yeah i agree they should open that dp spot for i don't know i don't know busquets or Messi or whoever they're linked to but if they cannot find a team like you know based off the of neville's comments comments and robinson saying they're welcoming him back with open arms i can just see him staying as a depth piece and this is based off of whether or not they find a team for him to move on. So um, I don't disagree, but I think if they really cannot find the team, he's going to stay at inner Miami and be that depth piece, you know, like, like Neville specifically uh, he was naming off players that he saw him competing with. Robert Taylor was one of them. I think he mentioned Bryce Duke. Uh, and a couple of others that he said he's in direct competition with to, to get minutes. So, yeah, I don't disagree, but I, I truly think if they just can't find the team, he's going to stay. Like, I, yeah. I think he's just going to stay.
0: I mean, that, that's the thing, Austin. At the end of the day, you cannot under any circumstance have another Mateus Pellegrini situation. And, and so, like, yeah. if, you cannot find, if you cannot find a suitor, he's going to be on the team. He, they paid him last year to not be on the team. They'll pay him this year to be on the team. Right? like so if, if if they cannot find someone to take him, he's on the team. I, I think it's as simple as that now the question comes in and let's transition because I think that this is good is how does that affect Pozuelo because Pozuelo Alejandro Pozuelo is still not signed and I did ask Phil about this on Monday and, and and say is he still in the cards and and you know he Miami does have the right to negotiate he did say that they are still making progress on that I, I think that they will get over the finish line on that. And I do think now with Joseph coming in, you could see a situation where you buy Gregory down, you have Pozuelo, you have Pizarro, and you have Campanas, your three DPs. And and there you go. There you have it. Now, that, that brings up the question that you did, Austin, of what do you do in the summer if, if, like Alex said, a Busquets comes around or a Messi comes around or even you know someone that we're, isn't even on our radar right now. That's where your options are limited. But as we look at Pozuelo, he, I, I think that he needs to be the priority. And once he's in, needs to be treated like the priority because I think you're going to learn a lot there. If if he comes in and it's like, well, Pizarro and Pozuelo are going to be battling for playing time. Well, wait a minute, hold on a sec. Like, I, I I thought that we had a clear path here, and this is just me talking. Like, that I I thought that there is a, a clear hierarchy here of how this is looking of, of who is, is has been the performer. Of of the the what of what Inter Miami is looking for, if it, if it, if that's understood, then all of a sudden too, you get the added benefit of seeing how Pizarro reacts to that, because let's remember how Iguain reacted to getting bench last year too. We got the best of Iguain from that situation, right? And so you know we all saw it with our own eyes. And so if Pizarro has a similar reckoning, then all of a sudden, oh great! Like this has become a fantastic situation. But if it, the same Pizarro comes out, well, now we've answered our questions. And, and I think that there can be a lot to be learned from that. So I do think that a lot of the Pizarro situation links itself naturally to Pozuelo and how the, the pieces
1: surrounding it will react to it. Do, is it possible, just after hearing everything you just said, and the reason why Pozuelo is not signed yet, is it possible – as we just talked about limiting opportunities with a full DP setup, is it possible that Chris Henderson in the front office are trying to negotiate with Pozuelo and his agent to bring him back as a non-DP? Do you think that that's on the cards right now because of the Pizarro situation? I think that that is a possibility. I think it's tough to actually pitch that to Pozuelo and be like, Hey, look, sorry, man, we're going to have to give you less money because we're kind of stuck right now. It just looks extremely crappy, but in order to protect their, their own in order to protect Inter-Miami as a whole and to keep your options available come summertime because I think that is a key part of what might be going on. That's just personal. That has no reporting at all. That's just a personal feeling. I think that that could be part of the discussions and why we haven't seen something cross the finish line just yet. And I think that's why the Joseph News also came out and the fact that he's not going to be a DP. I think that that's another thing, too, that points me towards the fact that they might, try to get these older veteran mls proven guys on less than dp deals in order to open their options for when the summer comes
0: i'll just say based on um, what, not... what based off what i've heard i would be extremely extremely
1: surprised if Pozuelo comes back and is not a dp so then what what possibly are they discussing
2: I think it has to do with the Martinez deal. I think once Joseph is over the line, they can turn their attention to Pozuelo. I think um, to that point, I think had, you've yeah, had so but, much
1: time for Pozuelo, so yeah, yeah, much.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think Joseph, the Martinez deal really just complicates things, honestly. But to that point, Pozuelo did post a photo on his Instagram. That looks very similar to Inter Miami's training facilities. He's not in Inter Miami clothes, but you, you can tell by the glass behind him. It, it looks like the training facilities. So he's clearly there. So, so I, I, I really do think like um, I don't know what press conference it was, but I think it was either Neville or Chris Anderson said it's going to be like a like a like a knock on effect or a jigsaw puzzle where the steel gets done and then the rest can follow. I think they're they're really like Pazzola wants to be in Miami. Like I, I really just think that they're waiting on to close the Joseph Martinez thing. That's done and dusted. He's not on DP, and then like uh, Ian, correct me if I'm wrong. They have the buy down Gregory for the DP thing. And then once that's, um, you know, whatever they do, once that's done, they can will go ahead and announce Pozzuolo. So I think it'll just be a knock-on effect. Joseph's done, then buy down Gregory, Pozuela's in, and, um, you know, whatever happens to Pizarro, whether he's still here or, or this time I'm on, I think that's, I personally, that's what I think is going to happen. And you maybe, uh, you know, have some other information, but, yeah, I, I just think it's a knock-on effect. This guy gets done, then they can go here, 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 and then that's how it's probably going to end up.
0: Yeah, just real fast, real fast on the Gregory stuff. A lot has been made about nothing on this I, because Gregory can easily be bought down. I think it comes down to like two hundred and thirty-two thousand five hundred dollars in cam that they have to use. Um, like, that it's it's not a that's not a terrible amount. I mean, it is something, but um, it, it's well within the, the capability of, of what they could be able to do. So um, Gregory will not be a designated player. He makes designated player money right now because of the structure of a contract. And and I know that Taylor Twellman was out there with with saying that he is because they're going by letter of the law right now. He is a designated player because he makes over $612,500, but he will not be when the mechanisms are used um, when when rosters come in. So um, I I think that just uh, when we understand that and a lot of the confusion of who's our DPs and who who are into Miami's DPs and and what's going on, um, those questions that we get asked all the time, Gregory technically DP today. Will not be when the start of the season comes around, so that means that you're you're fitting four players in Campana who will be a young designated player, Pozuelo Pizarro and Joseph, who reportedly will not be a designated player into three spots, and now you have your three designated players that's the simplest way to put it to your point austin about um about what's taking so long i i this is going to sound a little tongue in cheek but when you get to a certain point in your career, you don't always want to go through. Like, when you have reached a status of, of of what you have, you don't always have to show up to training camp on day one. I'm not saying that this is a situation like that. But, you know, the, the transfer window is open right now. So he can explore his options. And and so if he's not in a rush, if the team isn't in a rush, and he wants to see if maybe there's something in Europe that he could go for, I mean, more power to him. The player, the player is, is not under contract right now. So I I don't think that the fact that it hasn't been done as of right now is any indication that it won't get done or won't get done quickly once everybody sits down in a room together.
2: Mindy, I want to remind you guys that the roster compliance date is literally the day before the season starts, so Miami do have plenty like a month's time to get all this sorted, so they don't go through a, a, a Matuidi part too. So yeah, I just think it'll like Ian said, it will take a little bit of time, but they do have plenty of time to to get all this sorted.
0: And this is just week one of training camp, right? I mean, we've got seven more to go until February 25th. or six more to go until February 25th uh, against Montreal. So plenty of time. Like you said, this time next week we'll be talking about uh, heading in to the first uh, preseason game for Inter-Miami as they will take on Vasco da Gama. Guys, I want to touch on some of the uh, transfers that have happened, some of, some of the moves that Inter-Miami has been able to make coming in uh, over the past couple of days. Franco Negri coming over from the Argentina Premier Division uh, in Godoy Cruz. They left back uh, with with a lot of promise, a lot of upside. Alex, you wrote a, a great uh, scouting report on him, so I want to turn to you first. Uh, th- this is this looks to be a a piece that, that Inter-Miami had a position of need at uh, and really was looking to find who could be that. We all remember last year how Chris McVeigh, uh, re- really played out of position the entire year, being forced into the left back role. And, and so, what what could a Franco Negri bring to Miami and and to that position?
2: Well, he's an extraordinarily attacking fullback. I spoke to Mati Romero. Romero, um, he's a writer who covers Godoy Cruz uh, in Argentina, and he basically said, uh, "I know this is going to sound terrible, but." You know, he's not a he's a defender, but he doesn't defend. Like the he's an attacking fullback through and through. Uh he likes to go forward, he likes to get on the wing, he likes to to, to combine and get into the, the offense, you know. Um he's a, a fullback that, you know yeah, he loves to get forward and I think that lends credibility, like it's like I said earlier, domino effect Joseph comes, you know, two striker system, whether that be with a flat back four or a back three. Franco Negri is the perfect wing back, and then you pair him with a guy like Yedlin on the other side. They're two very quick, um, attacking fullbacks that, that, um, Negri's probably a little bit more technical on the ball in regards to, to, to passes into the final third. Key passes, his crossing may not be as accurate as maybe you'd like, but he's an attacking fullback through and through. He'll give it his all on the field, um, you know, I I didn't see his transfer. You know, he was a free agent, right? But I think they got him for uh, you know a good deal as well. And like listening, oh, um, listening, uh, reading his um, um, his statement uh, to uh, the 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 press release, he, he's super excited to be here. And um, yeah, Miami are getting a, a really good attacking fullback that can play as a wing back, that can play as a, a flat fullback in the flatback four. Um. You know, he's a, very attacking. He, he loves to go forward. Defending, like I said, it may be a little bit iffy, but he does have the recovery pace, similar to Yedlin, to get back if if needed. You know, there have been so many times last season that was saw Miami, you know, in transition, struggle with that. You know, maybe Ryan Saylor or McVay, maybe they're not, they're not the quickest center back. So if, let's say, Saylor or McVay or uh, Ian Frey, when he gets healthy, if they play as that left sided center back, Franco Negri has the pace to, to, to get their back. So, a lot of high upside in Negri, um, great attacking fullback. Defending it remains to be seen, but, you know, Miami has a, a, a versatile player that can play as a left midfielder as well as a left winger. So, yeah, just a ton of upside. Defending, a little iffy, but like I said, you know, once he gets into the groove, we'll really see how what he can do. And, and yeah, another steal for, for Chris Anderson.
1: One thing I want to point out about this, after I read your your article, Alex, I mean, you could put Yedlin's name at the top of it, and I, I would have read the same thing. Like it's what it seemed like to me. Um, if I saw no name, I would have been thinking you were talking about DeAndre Yedlin for the most part. Uh, but when thinking about you know how this correlates going into the next season versus what we had last year. How many times as a group did we discuss and even ask Phil Neville about the imbalance in attack between the right and the left side? How many times did we talk about the partnerships between the right side of the pitch and the left side of the pitch? And I mean, it was due to the fact that Christopher McVay is a natural center back and was playing out of position for a long part of the year. I think probably 90% of the year. And he played almost every single minute. So when you think about adding a guy like Negri, you think of a more balanced attack because of what he can bring on the attacking front Now, I think in my opinion, if Negri and Yedlin are on the pitch together, you're seeing a back five or a back three, whatever you want to call it, with them two at wing back because it just makes the most sense to have them go forward and provide a little bit of cover and have them able to come back i don't I, I would like to say that that Negri and Yedlin would just help balance the attack but on both sides of the pitch. And I don't think we had a lot of that last season. Yedlin did a lot of the heavy lifting as we saw a very fluid formation. And when Yedlin would go forward, you would see a, a dynamic shift of, of somebody that was on the left side, come back and help defend. But McVeigh and Sailor, or whoever it was, Mabika even on that side, we're getting beat a lot of the time in transition. I mean, there were a couple goals that you can think of right off the top of your head where McVeigh was getting beaten behind. Um, so I think that this helps a lot. And I think that going to a, back three, back five, whatever you want to call it, with Negri and Yedlin on opposite sides. Gives a little bit more coverage, a little bit more numbers behind, and the ability to go forward and have a more balanced attack. I, I see it as a very profitable situation for Miami.
0: I'm cool with a back four with this. So I'm interested. I mean, I, I, get, I get the argument naturally of, of a back five because you have two, you know, speedy wingbacks going up and down. But with a back four, with them, I, I know that you're losing stuff out wide, but that's what Miami wants to give up. And and I, I look at, you know, having having Gregory and John Mota almost as half half backs kind of that that, that you know like in front and, and then almost the two center backs be like sweeper backs. That that could work for me um in, in this situation, considering they're they're two of the best defensive midfielders in MLS, statistically and in practice. So I, I guess I I still like your principles of the four four or whatever if it winds up being a four four two that diamond looked really good last year um, and and even if it's in like the blocks if it's like a like think of everything in terms of a block like two center backs two wing backs two de- two defensive midfielders two attacking midfielders two strikers like even if you played that I know it sounds a little bit weird but in reality it kind of works for me I I, I guess. I, I'm not and that again this goes back to to what we noticed with Phil last year how he was able to switch those formations between the pack the back five and the back four and and now uh, you know the the ability to make those moves mid game without having to make substitutions is is what the, an added element will be that that you could potentially just make one move now, let's say you know you pull off. Rice Duke and put on an added CDM, and now you have five at the back. Like it can be that simple to switch formations. That's where a lot of this, I think, benefits you.
2: Even even now, I'm a little, I'm dueling here on my envelope. Um, you know, Negri, he can, Neville, if he wants to, he can implement that positional play thing that uh, Guardiola does, where that one of the fullbacks slot into central midfield to make up numbers. Negri, uh, if you watch clips of him, he does have really good ball skills and I don't know if he'll play as like a pure pep fullback in that regard but that is an option you know he could slide into midfield while uh, one of the central midfielders gets up if they're pushing for a late goal and then even still you could have a back three of uh, a center back uh, two center backs and Yedlin tucking in as a sort of a like a Kyle Walker role if if Neville really wanted to push the tactics board uh, maybe it's just me playing FIFA in my head but yeah, that is also an option. So like I said, like you guys said, it's just about fluidity and uh, versatility for this. And yeah, I'm excited to see how Neville gets on to it. You know, uh, throughout his years, he has tactically evolved and gotten better. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, let's see how that goes.
1: But as you alluded to, Alex, in your piece, Miami's not really gone into a season where they've had someone they can look to at left back and be like, yep, that, that could be the guy. And I think for the first time, okay, let's go back to 2020. What was it? Ben Sweat? 2021 was oh man my into Miami trivia oh, wow. who well, was, was Jovan Jones Jovan Jones is yeah. another one 2022 Gibbs come in,
2: though. Yeah
1: Gibbs came in yeah but yeah, again it's, that it's, was it's, there were so many questions surrounding that as well yeah. because of the injury history and him literally not playing at West Brom before coming Yeah um and then I looked to last season. You had no idea oh what was going to happen. and then it ended up being Chris McVay, and we didn't see that at all. We didn't, we didn't no. say Breck now Shea, so you have the internet's going
0: to hate us. We didn't say Breck Shea, so the internet's going to
1: hate us. Oh, gosh. Well, <laughs> Bre-
2: Bre- Yeah, Breck's great, but he was also very injured <laughs> a lot of the time. There was like, always a back. question
1: mark around Breck Shea. There was always a question mark around Breck Shea. There was never a real starting left back on this roster. And I think with Negri... I'm not going to say 100% he's a starter from day 1 throughout the course of the season because we don't know yet how it translates to MLS but there is a lot of potential there and I think it's the most potential we've seen in a left back signing from Miami since their inception.
0: That was going to be my question to you guys is it, are, are we there's a tendency to get very excited when you bring in a new player and immediately crown them are, are we necessarily doing that is is there another option is Negri the day one starter right now uh, what 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 could be, if not Negri, who?
2: Yeah, for me, yes. I think Kieran Gibbs, is uh, he's been decent, but just always injured. And even Noah Allen, he can push for the starting spot if he plays well in uh, preseason. But, um, yeah, the fact that they went out and got Negri just shows that they probably have no confidence in Kieran Gibbs or they feel like Noah Allen isn't prepared enough to get the full-time job yet. So I think this is like a stopgap until uh, Allen is ready. Uh, and, you know, if Gibbs is healthy. But, yeah, for me, yes, day one starter.
1: Even if you're, I mean, I agree. I think it's possible he's a day one starter, but even if Phil Neville finds no comfortability in anything, in any of those options that you just mentioned, Alex, Chris McVay is not a bad option. So, uh, uh, one
0: more signing that uh, that Inter Miami has made, Nicholas Stepanelli coming in from Sweden. You can check out, all of the scouting report on him as well. Alex did a great job speaking with a reporter over there as well, breaking down the newest winger, Nicholas Stefanelli. But guys, I want to close the show with uh, a returner from inter Miami's own ranks, Robbie Robinson coming off that, uh, that really, really gnarly uh, leg injury um, midway through. It was in June, July of last year. um, Underwent surgery. He actually said it was the first surgery he's ever had. So, um, and, and, uh, Went through a, a very, very tough recovery. It took about two months longer than originally uh, planned. Um, with some of that having to do with the off season, um, but he's back now. Says that he's feeling healthy. Uh, said in, in we got to talk to him uh, earlier this week. Said that he's taking a lot more time to focus on his nutrition, on his uh, doing yoga. He had said doing uh, a lot more recovery than he had been doing, and really wanting to be a professional footballer. Uh, as he said and, and take that stuff more seriously. Um, you know, he's a former number one overall pick. He was a former Herman Award trophy winner. I know we always bring that up, but that's the equivalent of the Heisman in college soccer. Um and and, and he came in with a lot of hope, um, but has struggled to to adapt, has struggled to stay healthy. Um so now in year four of of Robbie Robinson, uh, we come in and and what is the feeling around him? What does he need to do to to show his teammates, to show his coaches, to show the fans, a lot of which, you know, have, have sort of, you know, given up for for lack of a better term uh, with, or, or at least run out of patience, um, keep hearing about this guy and wondering whenever it's going to, to come to fruition.
1: Sorry, I was having mic issues there. I clicked it like 20 times. Um, the – The thing is with Robbie is we still don't know. Like we have seen glimpses. We've seen the flashes, but it also, it always comes down to this injury thing. And I think that the benefit of this for inter Miami is that you have a guy with a lot of potential ability who you have on a contract that literally does not affect you at all up until this point. I, I, I mean, that is the biggest part of this. Um, we, we I mean, even bringing in Stefanelli and all the other wingers and, and those types of attackers that Phil Neville has, having Robbie Robinson as a depth piece is the exact opposite of why I was so keen on talking about Pizarro and talking about getting him offloaded. His contract matters, Robbie's doesn't. So if you end up needing a depth rotational piece down the line for a winger, for an attacker like Robbie, like Laster, like Stefanelli, like Robert Taylor, like Emerson, like all these different guys... You have that at your disposal, and it's not really affecting you in any way at all. So I think, you know, you have that ability. You've seen that he has produced for you a couple of times, I would say, and sometimes in some minutes that he's played. Um, Even at times in the beginning of last year, the amount of times Phil Neville was asked about Robbie, and it was very those straightforward answers trying to keep him motivated and things like that. I think you'll see more of that going into this year. You know, to be hard nosed to tell him that look, you need to prove yourself and all these kinds of things. For me, the key point of this again is is having a contract that literally doesn't affect you at all. And if you end up unlocking that potential ability, it's obviously a huge plus. Um, But I think there's even possible, possible trade. Potential for Robbie Robinson as well throughout the season, maybe as he ends the deal. uh, I I don't know if it ends this year or the end of next year. I I think this year, I think it's a four-year deal after the draft. So I think it would end after this year. Um, So maybe if you can find a a, a trade partner to to offload that so you don't have to just lose him for nothing to get some allocation money to help balance and mitigate anything else you have to do roster structure-wise, go ahead and do that. But if he gets some minutes and he has some production, that's the most you can ask for, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think Robbie, he um, um, just talking to him, you know, he looks extremely motivated. Uh, he looks fit. You know, standing there, we saw that giant scar going down the right side of his um, outside leg. It was a, you know, a gnarly scar. But, um, you know, he got engaged over the offseason. He seems um, ready, you know, fit. He, he, like Ian said, he spoke about uh, eating properly, doing yoga, loosing up, uh, you know, his muscles, just staying injury free. Um, Austin, to your point, uh, we also spoke to Phil Neville about it, or, or Robbie and Phil uh, about his minutes. You know, Robbie said it himself that he they they're not going to push him; they're going to slowly ease him back into the into the 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 team in regard to um, playing time. Uh, Robbie even said he hasn't even started shooting yet uh, post injury, so he's just doing some light uh, ball work and and fitness. So, um, yeah, for Robbie, for for him, I think in order for it to be a successful season for him, I think it's just a make an impact on games, you know, we, we've seen that he's able to score, he has the pace, I don't know if it'll be a little bit reduced due to the injury, but, you know, he's, he you know, he's a Herman Trophy award winner, which is given to the best college soccer player in the nation, like, he's not any slouch, Um, you know, he's good, and we've seen it on his day, it's just staying consistent, and talking to Robbie the other day, he looks like he wants to be consistent, you know, you know, you know, he looks fit, He he's ready, you know, he, he, he rolled up his shorts, you know, he was all ready to go, so, um, um, so yeah, I think for Robbie, he just needs to keep consistent, contribute. There's going to be a lot of competition in his, in all of the places that he plays across the front line, you know, so he's not going to have to, you know, play a lot, but he'll have competition and that's what you want in a team build competition. So the players get better. So Robbie wants to succeed, uh, you know, and I think that he'll be able to do so if they bring it, bring him back into the fold slowly and, and give him time to recover and not really push him. And, and so he's not picking up those little injuries anymore. So, um, yeah, he can be successful, but, like, it's, like, I think we can all agree it's really up to Robbie to make that happen.
0: You had mentioned that he got engaged. It was a winter of love for Inter-Miami. Robbie Robinson got engaged. Drake Callender got engaged. DeAndre Yedlin got married. So uh, a lot of uh, love is in the air around the the pink and black. As it, as it pertains to Robbie, I mean, he his rookie year only got a little more than 400 minutes as he started to get used to being a professionaler. The, the second year was around 1,300 minutes. He scored the four goals, but eh, I think it would be a little disappointing, he would say. Last year with the injuries, only about 400 minutes. We haven't really ever seen him get up to even like a super sub level of, of production. Um, and, and so I, I guess... Thinking going into this year that that will be his primary role, at least to start, that, that his role will be as a super sub in those final minutes to be able to have that last 10-minute spurt that, you know, Phil Neville loves. Um, what does production look like to you? Is it a handful of goals? Does yep. he have to get to double digits? Is it, is it a minutes cap? When we're looking at his production, do, do we define it through numbers or do we define it through the eye test?
2: Um, um, I, I don't know. I kind of see him in that Indiana Vasilev role coming off the bench until he gets fully fit, just coming off, getting, getting, using his pace to wreak havoc on the back line and and score some late goals until he gets fully healthy. But yeah, for me, I won't judge him on numbers. I'll, I'll, I'll do more of an eye test. If he comes on and, you know, wreaks havoc and, you know, he's making a, a, you know, a wreck of the the opposition back line and and getting into good positions or, or assisting and whatnot, Um, yeah, that's successful. I won't, I won't say, I won't like, I won't get him to like Joseph levels of, you know, he has to score 10 plus goals to be successful type, but um, now just come on to, to, to um, super sub role maybe until he gets fit. And and, yeah. And, and and recap it that way.
1: Yeah. I I fully agree. I think it's just eye test. I don't think, I mean, we don't know the minutes he's going to get. I don't want to, cap him at any number and try and get him to exceed some amount. I think it's honestly, if he can come in and have an impact to help Miami either find ways to win game or stretch a game out, whatever you need to do in order to gain any kind of points when he comes on the pitch and he doesn't have a necessarily a negative impact, then I think that that would be a good season for Robbie um, up until October, November, whenever it is. I only bring that up because in the press conference with him, he was asked if he had a number and, and he sort of
0: smirked and didn't want to tell us, what it is, so I think in his head, perhaps he has uh, a a bar that he wants to set for this year. Wow, guys, what a great start to uh, to the 2023 season! We got through a lot here; much more to come. Uh, as we will have a ton of coverage for you here at the Heron Outlet in the 2023 season. Don't forget, also this upcoming weekend, River Plate coming to Drive Pink Stadium to take on that at uh, Saturday night. The return of LGP now playing for for River Plate. So, uh, that'll be fun to see LGP back in South Florida if you if you find your way to that game. Uh, wish him the best. A, a, a former Heron, always a Heron, right? Um, and, and always make sure you follow us on our latest Substack, uh, the Heron Outlet at substack.com. Or substack.com, the heronoutlet.substack.com. You can subscribe to our newsletter uh, get it all in your inbox. Uh, sign up for our premium content. Plenty more scouting reports, uh, league news, all that coming right to your email. You can follow us at always on Instagram, on Twitter, at the YouTube channel. Follow us, subscribe, like, comment, rate, review. Woo! We got through it all, guys. And have plenty more to come this season here at the Heron Outlet. He is Austin Roblard. She is Alex Whitley. For our producer, Andres, I am Ian Hess. We'll see you back here this time next week.